This is the Thorn Podcast, the show that navigates the complex world of wellness and explores the latest science behind diet, supplements, and lifestyle approaches to good health. I'm Dr. Robert Roundtree, Chief Medical Advisor at Thorne and Functional Medicine Doctor. As a reminder, the recommendations made in this podcast are the recommendations of the individuals who express them and not the recommendations of Thorne. Statements in this podcast have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Any products mentioned are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Thorn Podcast. Joining me this week is my friend and colleague, Dr. Stephen Phipps, who is the Chief Innovation Officer at Thorn Health Tech. So, Stephen, welcome to the show. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about your background and, and how you got to be doing what you're doing now? Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, Glad to be here and being able to talk. It's always a pleasure to be able to have my colleague in the room. I think my backstory it, you know, really starts off with botany, actually, um, before medicine. And so I really got interested in the ways that her, you know, plants have been a piece of our you know, culture and our diversity as a, as a species um, over time. And so ethnobotany was really what got me started down the path of looking at you know, medicine and what that could look like or be. And so from there, I went and did a uh, PhD um, under a uh, doctor from Germany by the name of Dr. Budovec, who was looking at hypericum, which is St. John's wort, and looking at not hyperforin, but actually hypericide, which is one of the flavonoids in that plant. And then how some of the other you know, compounds that are in there, like anthocyanins and some of these kind of precursors to other products, um, were actually helping it get into the body you know, in a way that had its own little package to deliver and so by protecting it from the stomach acid and the like and so that really that is what started me off looking at then the medical potential of it and then from there I kind of wanted to make sure that I took that medical potential of plants and brought it over to um, medicine so I went and did my naturopathic doctorate at Bastyr University was uh, a resident there for two years after I graduated was doing a lot of work outside of the main clinic in areas like uh, homeless teen shelters in Seattle some other you know shelters open in around for women and trying to look at, you know, nutrient disparities and, and mental health problems as they were coming up in areas with lower access than, you know, what we'd be seeing in the clinic itself. Well, that's, so you went, actually went from doing the very technical work of, of asking what's in a plant that, that is effective and all the details involved with that pharmacology to application, to work in, you know, with disadvantaged children is, is, you know, getting out in basically out in the streets. So that's a pretty broad set of experiences you have. Yeah, no, and I, and I appreciated it. And I think the biggest thing was that, you know, moving over, I was, you know, being a, in a technical scientist, I didn't spend a lot of time out and about. So, you know, this, I think being a doctor and understanding, you know, people, you know, and what their needs and what they're looking for and their drives and all that was very helpful just in general, because I, uh, I was quite the nerdy scientist back then. So I feel like I've at least been able to blossom into someone that can be on a podcast without completely sweating. <laughs> well, I have to say there's something about being on the spot with a patient that really makes you translate all that data that might be in your head into something that you can use. What are you going to do 
now? What are you going to recommend that this person take or what diet should they go on, et cetera? So clinical yeah, medicine no, really mean, forces scientists to be practical. Exactly. And then, you know, and connect, right? And I think that's kind of the, the cool thing about it, um, you know, because every individual, you know, will have, you know, their own unique you know, journey into why they're dealing with what they're dealing with. Um, and so, you know, that, oh, that piece of humanity, I think, is something that only comes from being able to have that expertise in clinical sciences, because you're not going to get that doing experimentation. You know, the variables are very uh, reduced on a bench work that I'd be doing, say, some preclinical studies on or in vitro cell lines. Like, that's pretty much just A and B. Right now, how do I do A through Z and make sure that, you know, that person's getting exactly what they need? So you've really taken a journey from, as we say, the bench, the bench to the clinic. And then now you're back to designing yeah. products and making things available to a larger audience. Exactly. And so like from, you know, that I think one of the things that I always enjoyed, even when I was practicing was uh, the clinical science and, you know, in clinical trial work. And so um, that got me into understanding more about Thorn and the Thorn ecosystem. And I came over to work for Thorn um, in 2015 and uh, started as the director of clinical programs. So really trying to, you know, create a structure um, and a pipeline for our you know, research abroad in different uh, resource organizations, whether it be Mayo or someone um, wanting to study something in a University of Florida, for example. So that, you know, there's that kind of was what drove it. But then, yeah, the product development side of it really took over. Um, and that's kind of my main focus now as the chief innovation officer. Great. Well, that that actually segues right into what we're going to talk about and focus on today, which is children and their the need for children to eat a healthier diet and maybe take dietary supplements in the case, the potential case for kids to take dietary supplements. So can we start by talking about how a child's nutritional needs differ from that in an adult? And, and I, I would put a little frame around that, which is the way I was trained is in prenatal care, you get the mom ready that once she has that baby, at some point she should put that kid on multivites, you know, liquid polyvisol. That, I think that was the big one. Put them on polyvisol with iron and you know, and you do that for a few months, you stop and then then you're done. Basically, your kid's right. fine right. for the rest of his life exactly. or her life. Yeah. And I mean, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's quite a difference, right? So if we look at just the general, you know, realms of uh, where I think, you know, where we see nutritional needs in children, the differentiations is, you know, over time, there's these, you know, it, you know, I think frameworks or structures that we're seeing developmentally um, that happen in different, you know, realms that you're going to need various different supports. Um, and that may come from even just, you know, right from the womb, right, where we see the discussion around probiotic supplementation, what would be the difference from the probiotic supplementation needs of, say, you know, uh, a vaginal birth versus a, you know, cesarean section, right? There's lots of you know, so there's lots of research there that says that that might be different um, and, and necessary. Um, and that would, you know, really help with supporting the growing learnings of the immune system, right? Because I think that's kind of one of the first things is that's a clean slate. So as soon as they come out, like they, you know, spend a lot of time with mom, they've spent time, you know, and dad, and they spend, you know, time, um, you know, really, you know, in their environment. And so their immune system's learning. Um, and so that's one of those first things that we see, right? And it's also as a, you know, I could say as a new parent, I've, you know, I'm about to have my third, um, you know, it's one of the most 
traumatic things to think about as you're trying to say, please don't put that in your mouth, but you're also <laughs> in the back of your head, like, well, no, really they should put something there because they're trying to learn, but you know, it's still, you know, one of those things where you're like, Oh, it's so gross. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I think there, there's that, but then, you know, and as they're taking in their environment, obviously in these next stages and they're you know, trying to synthesize their self and the like, like there's a lot of neurological development, <clears throat> you know, and, you know, tracks laying down in different areas of, brain that are really trying to take in a lot of nutrients and a lot of and a lot of vitamins and minerals to really support some of the you know neurotransmitter development neurotransmitter metabolism you know the you know obviously taking in a bunch of caloric needs for those neurons um, in different forms you know and then lastly obviously you know they're, they're growing so the the skeletal system over time has these growth spurts um, and they put a tremendous stress on things like our vitamin D um, and, you know, vitamin K and calcium and magnesium pools. So you've got on the one end, you've got growing kids who are putting down more tissue, right? They're, they're making more brain material. They're, they're making lots more brain material, hopefully, and they're making bones and skin, connective tissue. So they, they need all these extra nutrients. And yet kids tend to be picky eaters, as you well know. I mean, I've, I've certainly been around a lot of kids over the years, that, you know, who would only eat mac and cheese right, three times right. a day. That's all they would oh, eat, yeah. mac and cheese. And not even like mac and cheese made with healthy ingredients, but instant mac and cheese. Yep. Yeah, the, the glowing <laughs> orange cheese powder, right? Yep. Or, you know, that, that would be it. And yeah, and that still persists. I mean, that's one of the things. And, you know, I think also the psychology around that's kind of changing too, which kind of makes some of this a little harder to go around. You know, when I was growing up um, and my parents were telling me, you know, like about don't be a picky eater, try this, even if you don't like it, you know, and kind of having an increased pressure to eat all these different foods, you know, a lot of now what's going on is, you know, and nutritionists are saying, you know, that won't necessarily do a well-rounded diet later, mm -hmm. which is hard. Yeah. Right. Because you can't just make chicken nuggets for your kid all day and not go, <laughs> oh, my gosh, are they getting everything they need? Yeah. Because um, obviously they're not. Uh, so there has to be then some supplementation. And I think parents know that. Right. And if you look at the amount of parents that have been surveyed in some of these recent studies that we're seeing, it's around 50 percent of the parents that have surveyed are going to be giving their children dietary supplements on top of what they're needing. And it could be that they still eat more than chicken nuggets and there's other factors. But I think there is an understanding that over the long term and not just during one cycle of the children, a child's development, there has to be a balance of food and other nutrient sources to ensure that there's that healthy adaptation over time to becoming a well-rounded eater, uh, to have a good you know, a relationship with the, the food they're eating and understand the nutrient diversity that they need to bring in. But also understand you're living in a massively different world right now where electronics, technology, fast choices, fast needs, not a lot of time to, you know, all impact that, right? You know, the slow food movement is one of the hardest things I've ever tried to do just because, I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense. It's beautiful, but it just, it's hard to do. It's impossible sometimes, right? Like, so there always is that dichotomy there. So you've got this other situation, as you said, that kids are spending more time in front of their computer, which I think that translates into less time playing outdoors, right? And you know, right. getting which means less sunlight. Vitamin D. Right? Yep, they're not right. getting their vitamin D because they're not going outside. 
and they're, they're not eating their green leafy vegetables, so they're, you know, missing out on the folic acid and the vitamin K and all that good stuff. And then I think something that you and I've talked about in the past is if you have a kid sitting in front of a computer screen, doesn't that do something to your carotenoids? Like, you know, the being beamed with all that radiation, <laughs> yeah. doesn't that increase certain nutritional needs? Exactly, right. So, I mean, I think, you know, the things that we see for blue light pressures on an adult are definitely there now even more for a child. And so if you look at TV time and what people used to talk about, TV time restrictions for um, for, you know, ch children. Well, now, like, you know, just for an example, my, my kid's going to go into second grade and, you know, it's time to get him his first Chromebook. And obviously too, with the struggles of COVID in different areas, like a lot of, you know, parents had to rely on online learning, whether it be through a school or through homeschooling. So, you know, there's been increased demands on those types of nutrients. And you mentioned the big ones, like the minor carotenoids, like lutein, zeaxanthin, you know, even beta carotenoids to an extent. But then you also have that, you know, that neurological tract that's being really reinforced. And I think, the, you know, that long-term thing around, you know, what are we looking at from an omega-3 index? Also, what are we looking at around other neurological development nutri nutrients um, and neurotransmitters? So going back to the folic acid deficits from the leafy greens, you know, it all starts to combine. And, and those pressures are, I think, where you start to see a lot of individuals really looking at trying to understand how to best deal with that because it's going to be a struggle. So what it's do you just, think about uh, kids and cod liver oil? Is that something, I mean, that, you know, is a standard practice in Scandinavia, I think, but maybe not yeah. in this country. Exactly. I mean, I mean, but it has vitamin A, it has vitamin D, it has, you know, a, you know, a lot of stuff in there. But yeah, I don't think uh, it, that's going to be something that translates well, because it's just not something that we bring into our dietary, you know, base. And if you look at even some of the old movies that maybe some of uh, the parents of my, you know, that are my age or stuff used to see, like everyone, it was always making fun of cod liver oil. It's disgusting. Mm -hmm. I don't want to take That's disgusting. The kids, the kids make a yeah. face. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that that goes then back to food pressure. Like, how do you get around that? Right. Like, what are we going to do? And I think, you know, that goes back to then what the marketplace has tried to do for a while. Right. And um, whether it be, you know, the first rounds of tableted, um, chewables that were supposed to be bright colored and yeah, and Flintstones. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. And, you know, lots of sugar now has moved into areas like uh, the gummy market, right? Where it's, you know, just a different approach, but obviously bright and colorful. And, uh, you know, um, but it's the same thing as, as the, breakfast cereal, like all that started with, right. you know, the, the cocoa puffs and things like that. Like, let's basically give kids, kids are, you know, nutritionally lacking. So what do we do? We'll give them cocoa puffs with a little B vitamin in them, right? And, and call it fortified, you know, fortified for cocoa puffs. Exactly, right? And you know, and I think that's kind of been the solutions, right? Like, is that oh, okay? Well, if we do some food fortifications, then they'll be fine. But you know, then now you look at some of the pressures in food, and that's not going to be that's going to be hard too, right? Like, there's a lot of differences in how people are looking at food. 10, 15 years ago versus how people are looking at food now. And, you know, coming from just the socioeconomic aspects, inflation, the supply chain issues, you know, some the decline in diversity in certain areas for food, right, where you get what they call those food deserts. It's become harder and harder to balance 
that out. And to the point that most parents, and this may not be true, but in some areas it definitely can, but they still think that it's going to be more expensive to provide their child with a healthy diet. So then where are they going to go? Right? Like, and I think that's where you keep going back to, well, that's going to be where the supplementation takes hold. Why do you think that um, mainstream pediatricians are still so resistant to that idea that giving a, um, a daily multiple vitamin, you know, which seems like just basic insurance, you know, and yet, again, once the kids pass one year of life, you don't really hear anything about the, the value of a supplement and, you know, expensive urine, all of that stuff seems to still be out there. Um, the data's there. I mean, I think the data's there that kids can benefit from all these things. Oh, definitely. I mean, if you look at the lot, you know, the research that's out there on single nutrients, you know, in, in these, in the ranges that we would expect to see, and I would say more of a high quality supplement for children, like there's great value, right? But I think the problem is, is that like a lot of this, the marketplace is riddled with uh, products that promise but under deliver. And that could be because of the nutrient type that could be because of, you know, the way that it's, you know, placed into the matrix itself. So you may be getting a little bit of what you need, but you're getting a lot more what you don't, you know, and so for I think some of the pediatricians, it may just be one of those where it's like, well, all they see or hear about is, you know, these things that don't necessarily seem healthy. But I think there's a lot that, you know, that that's that is changing. And especially around, you know, nutrients and their value in different areas that is going to pressure docs to really rethink some of this in a great way, right? Which is more about, okay, you know, like when I'm looking at this and I see that there is this value in that even, you know, the FDA is making it so that the DVs are from four to an adult on a lot of these, like there's going to be deficiencies and adequate intake. It's just, you just mentioned a word. I just want to define for our readers DV. Oh yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. DV. yeah so what is that? That's going to be the daily value percentage, right? So they're, you know, so if they look at it, there's some broader, I would say brackets within how, you know, we look at, you know, nutrient status and percentages in a daily, you know, intake that allows us to make sure that we are, in range with, you know, setting at least a standard for health, right? Then there may be another bracket that we talk about with adequate intake. And there's another bracket that we may talk about, you know, in and around that that's a little bit different. So from this is mainly just if, you know, I look at a food label or a supplement label, you know, it's going to be set to a specific targeted group, right? So if we look at it, it'll be from one to three years of age, from four to adult, and then they may have a specific one for pregnant and lactating. So if I look at a prenatal, you know, you may see um, two different types of DVs and it might be because of what they're trying to show, right? So if you're pregnant and you're taking a prenatal, then your DV percentages may be different, um, just in slight, right? Because you're going to need more things like, choline, you know, the choline goes up a bit. Yeah, a few of these other things go down a bit. Um, and so it kind of reshifts. But Again, that is uh, the way that we can at least look and see what type of value we're getting, right? And so if we look, you know, at some of the changes in that, outside of even just choline becoming, uh, you know, a, a B vitamin that now has a dietary value to it, um, you know, you can go back and say, well, how much percentages of these things are there? And then what is that really the impact of? And some of them you're not allowed to put on the label anymore if they're under 2%, which is good. And I think that's going to lead to a lot of positive results and how people think about nutritional supplementation and food fortification. But if they're not in that very small category, you can still be pretty low and still put it in, right? So let's, I just want to focus on this on choline for a second before we take a break, which is 
that I think it's, as you mentioned, underappreciated nutrient found in eggs and dairy products and meat, things like that. So it's there's not a lot of non-animal products that have choline, correct? Um, so, you know, it's been underappreciated for a long time, but I actually heard a very interesting presentation by Dr. Marie Caudill. Um, I think she might be at Cornell, and she uh, was actually showing that that giving choline to prenatally, putting that in a prenatal vitamin, uh, the effects could be measured in the, the infants. They, and the way they did it is by looking at eye movements in the kids. And they were able to show, and the eye movements were actually a way to show that there was good neurologic development. So that she helped establish that choline is really important for kids' brains. Yep. And I 100% with that. We agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's some people that say, well, why would you need choline? But I think it's really, it's coming front and center as far as a, a nutrient that really needs to be in a kid's multi. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, the the way I look at it right now, um, choline and the omega-3s like DHEA, as far as like the neurological support mechanisms that are there, they're becoming more and more sought out for in different areas, you know, and I think the ability for both choline, you know, in supplementation and DHEA in supplementation to come in as uh, vegan from algae and other play, and then, you know, in synth- synthesis allows in for this to be readily available regardless of the food or the, of the diet. So the ones that were really, you know, missing out on this, like, you know, if there is restrictions on egg for allergies or dairy for allergies or vegan or vegetarian lifestyles that may restrict one of the others, you know, now, now this really allows for that to be a foundation. And I think because it was such, it didn't have the dietary value put on it until recently, I think it got missed that a lot of people didn't really think about it. Right. And, and it, which isn't, you know, which is sad because I do really think over time, we're going to see that this is a really important nutrient for that neurological development. And just to clarify, did you say D, DHA? I, I thought I, I heard say you say D- DHEA, but I think you, I really hope I didn't, but yeah. I did mean DHA. DHA, so. yeah, with DHEA yeah, yeah. is a hormone, so yeah, we wouldn't want to be giving that to kids. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so you're talking about the the DHA that's in that's found in omega three fatty acid, the fish oil, or algae, and I'm guessing that you're saying that algae might be a good source, a broader group of people. Yeah, I do. You know, and I think that's been one of the thing where, you know, uh, fish oil, you know, fish oil can impact a lot of people's, you know, overall diet as far as if they're vegetarian or vegan. Mm-hmm. Um, some people find that, you know, it's really hard to take much like the cod liver oil. Um, but a lot of the algal sources that are coming out and with a refinement and can be placed into a stable powder, you know, you really can start to formulate with something that has less of a, a, of a flavor to it and, and easier to mask. Um, without a lot of, um, you know, exotic ingredients to read on a label. One thing I'll say about algae is that we're never going to run out of it. It's, exactly. It will be yeah, here. everywhere. It will be here, you know, if, if humankind doesn't last, algae will. Yes. So we, we never have to worry about you know, not having a source of that. Exactly. And that's the, the, the other thing too, right? The ecological abundance and the ways that we can, you know, also then create, you know, in some aspects, you know, farming out of this as well, that is, you know, re, you know, very 
pure, we have a really good control, right? Where I think a lot of people sadly are worried about our oceans and what may be in them. Um, you know, the, the algal DHA does allow for ability to start a bit purer, so refinement isn't as much of a need. Great. Well, let's take a little break, and then when we come back, we'll answer some questions from our community. Do you want a monthly dose of wellness delivered directly to your inbox? Thorns Take 5 Daily offers the latest wellness news, research, and insights distilled down into easy-to-digest and fun-to-read stories. It's updated weekly with stories from Thorns' very own medical team. You'll read about the latest in immune health, diet, lifestyle advice, managing stress, and more. Head to thorn.com and visit Take 5 Daily to subscribe for free and have your wellness content delivered directly to your inbox. Visit thorn.com to learn more. That's T-H-O-R-N-E.com. And we're back. Now it's time to answer some questions from the community. Our first question this week comes from a listener who asked, could you please make a kid's multi? And then there's one right after that that said, could you please make it chewable for little kids? And and then they, they've actually I said in parentheses, uh, is there any difference between making a pill or making a gummy or a chewable or something like that. So it seems like those are all loaded questions for you, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> they are. And ones that we've been thinking about now for a few years. So I actually started a project about two years ago when we started to really look at the print style of formulation, um, where we actually are now going to be coming out with our own multi children multivitamin. Um, what do you know, mean by and- print, Stephen? Um, so what we do is actually make a, uh, like a kind of like a fortified ink and then use a stencil to make a dissolvable disc, uh, that is pretty much embedded with all of the nutrients that we have in there. Yeah, edible ink, you mean edible ink. Yeah. Edible ink, of course, of course. And when I say ink, it's more of just a substrate that we can lay down. So if we look at the inactives, they're going to be, you know, the mainly like things like oat fiber, um, mm-hmm. gluten-free of course, and the like, because, um, we're looking to make sure that those are inert um, and, you know, not and a bit more on the healthier side. So you got a 3D so, printer that prints with oat. <laughs> actually, it's just the, the beauty of it is it's 2D. Um, and the reason why for it being 2D versus 3D is that uh, we can go a little faster, you know, and we can be a little bit more creative on our form factor. You know, it's relatively inexpensive. And so that translates into the end user. So instead of trying to buy the technology, we can really focus on then the quality of the nutrients we're putting in. And I think that's been really interesting and fun. And so, um, you know, with this, we're definitely uh, excited to roll it out. Um, and I think it'll, you know, be something that's been, fun, will be fun for parents to give to their kids. And, you know, one thing that I've been doing, obviously, with my kids is we've been developing this over time. Um, and I think that, you know, and unfortunately for them, they've been part of the R&D process. You know, it, <laughs> let's see if Mikey it, likes it. Does Mikey exactly. like it? <laughs> yep, Mikey likes it. And so, we'll, and, but what came from it, though, was interesting is, and, uh, is that they enjoyed being able to uh, decide what they want to do with it. And so, you know, with the disc dissolving, you know, it can go into water, you know, it goes into yogurt, it goes into um, oatmeal and a few other things. 
pretty easily. Um, and so, you know, that that was the thing that got them excited about it, right? So it let them kind of feel like they were deciding their own choose your healthy adventure type of thing. And so that's been really nice. And so because of that, we, it, you know, it's got an, it's flavored, but it's not going to be a very dominant flavor so that that can be imparted in different areas or different foodstuffs to make sure that, um, you know, they, there can be options. And your kids will drink it. Yeah. And one of them is the chicken nugget person. So yeah. as a naturopathic doctor, the chicken nugget person, we're working on her. I love her. Yeah. She's amazing. Um, and she's getting there, right? Yeah. Uh, obviously not pressuring, but, you know, she's moved to salmon instead yeah. of chicken nuggets and she's moved to a few other things. So we're getting there. Yeah. And I assume this, uh, this supplement, uh, for our listeners, uh, it's got all the, the usual suspects, shall we say all, all the yeah, things you would all, expect. Exactly. It's got all the good stuff that I would say, you know, is especially on the picky eater side, harder to get into. Right. Um, and also some of the things we talked about in our discussion around, uh, choline, uh, DHA, you know, really going and reinforcing some of that. So, Outside of that, we definitely have placed in a B vitamin complex that are active B vitamins, a vitamin K source, because again, leafy green leafy vegetables are hard to get in. Um, along that green leafy vegetable side, we've got an, uh, magnesium sources um, that are chelated, and then uh, vitamin A, zinc, vitamin D3 um, in, a, in a good amount for immune support. So trying to make a well-rounded utiliz- you know, nutrient p- platform for you know, I would say ages four to 12, um, where they're going to start transitioning into a more adult style um, nutrient. But we can do that again, because of the way that DVs are, are, you know, done, you know, we're doing four to adult is kind of getting our sense of what's needed, um, and really focusing in on that. Well, that kind of rolls us into the next question. And by the way, uh, it sounds like a really great product. And I, I've certainly been looking for a sugar-free children's supplement, you know, to use in my practice for many years. And they're they're hard to come by. Almost everything they're, out there just loaded with sugar and food dyes and all kinds yep. of things that no, are it really not is. desirable. And, that, you know, as a practitioner and also now as a parent, it has been hard, right? Like, you know, that's the, I look at every back panel as hard as I can to find stuff. And it is really hard to wade through. Well, the, the next question is kind of a natural segue, which is, should I focus on multivitamins for my children or should it be a food first approach? And we've kind of ta- touched on that, but I wonder if you could elaborate a little bit about how the two things fit together. Yeah. And, you know, and I think, in you know, in my personal view of it, I think, you know, focusing on food is great as a great foundation. And then looking at where things are missing, um, there's going to be things that kids are going to have a hard time eating or want to eat, uh, could be for texture, taste, the like. And so that's really where your supplementation comes in. But again, over time, we're hoping that they first become healthy adult eaters, right? Like they spend time understanding what they're eating, making good decisions, and then utilizing things to help with the deficits uh, that they need. But it can be really hard to think about like, you know, the amount of supplements one would still need to take if they were to go after, you know, nothing but fast food cheeseburgers and and shakes, right? Like it's nutrients and calories, but it's inflammatory and it's got a lot of things that are negative about it, right? So really we want to get that habitual want of a good, you know, diverse diet and then help support that with supplementation. I think the key word here that you've said several times is supplement, that supplements are supplements, right? So supplements are meant to enhance a decent diet. You know, I also think if you look at what's going on in our society, you've got a lot of overweight kids, You've got a lot of kids who are pre-diabetic. 
or maybe full-blown type 2 diabetics that and you never saw that before not in an eight-year-old right or a 10-year-old that this is something new and then the other scenario is that if you test for it you will find environmental toxins in kids you will find endocrine disrupting compounds there was a study done in europe recently where they were having to do spinal taps on kids for some other reason and they measured neonicotinoids which are these chemicals the pesticides that are that are embedded in plants they're inside the seeds and they grow inside the plants and they're saying there these things are everywhere the forever chemicals the edc's and i think that they deplete you of nutrients so even if the kids are eating well they still have this increased need for something to help them counteract the effect of these toxins. Oh, yeah. No, I totally agree. I mean, if you look at just the amount of intrinsic antioxidant support that's needed with some of that, you know, they're going to need all kinds of stuff, right? So, you know, amino acids, you know, things that drive glutathione production, balancing out, you know, the immune system and, and, and how we can do that through probiotics and the like. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. But I think some of this then goes to if you start putting on the flame to the fire and adding more with the you know some of the standard american diet choices out there then you now have even more inflammatory you know inflammatory reactions and even more cross discussions with you know cytokines and chemokines in your adipose tissue that's driving some of this even farther so i think you know again that's where that food piece really becomes you know important to foundationalize and supplement to your, as you said so you, you mentioned the word probiotic uh, earlier and then just now. Do you think an argument could be made for giving a probiotic to most kids? Do you do you give probiotics to your kids or you give yeah, them yogurt you know, or what do you do? I do a little bit of it all, right? And also prebiotics, um, you know, so that's, you know, if I'm looking at it and it may be that, you know, I give them some healthy fibers, I give them some, you know, these, some of these new, you know, more complex carbohydrates, but also fruits and veggies. And if I can't, I'll look for some polyphenolic, you know, extracts out of berries or fruits that really help diversify the GI tract, right? I think one of the biggest mucus formers like acromancia, which is a really cool species, um, you know, it's it can metabolize things like cranberry polyphenols and use that um, to grow and develop and then further benefit the barrier of the GI tract. Mucus um, formulas, so that's a good thing, mucus formulas, right? Right, uh, for right. Form, for mucus guys. formers, I'm formers, sorry. Right, yeah. yeah. You know, and, and so, because again, it's kind of keeping that environmental barrier whole as we start to get the onslaught of our environmental impacts. So, you know, I do think that there is room for probiotic support, you know, in, in children, you know, over time. And you know, the thing that may change is which ones and what types, you know, and I think as we start to understand the nuances of the ecosystem in the GI tract, I think that's where this will tease out. And we've already seen it with the prebiotic discussion, right? I think one of the most interesting things to see is things like omega-3 fatty acids being now categorized as prebiotics because of butyrate synthesis, right? So it can be used to create butyrate in the GI tract. So what we used to always think about was fiber is now a plethora of things that our body's using to really benefit that, that whole, you know, biome. So a prebiotic is really anything that works as a fertilizer or a nutrient that helps healthy bacteria grow in your gut. 
exactly right and so in the way i look at it some of them are selective right like some of the polyphenols you know and some of them are broad spectrum right so my if i'm looking at it from a fertilizer analogy my 15 15 15 like everything's gonna love it it's gonna grow gonna be happy so i think that's kind of where the nuances are starting to come out in the gi space now i have to say one of my favorite probiotics is just a kind of a long name but it's lactobacillus plantarum and uh, you'll have to remind me, but I, th- I think that Thorne has got a, a product that actually is designed for kids or easy for kids to take that has that particular yeah. probiotic in it. Yeah, it's a little microsphere, um, mm-hmm. so it's really easy to take. Um, it's not a capsule, and it is a, an LP strain that has got some good research around it. Yeah, so that plantarum kind of implies where it came from, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. It makes life easy. Sometimes, you know, that Latin translates well, huh? Yeah, sometimes it comes through well. So <laughs> that's, a lot of times it does. Yeah, so that's a good choice if parents want to use a, a probiotic for their kids. Exactly. Right, right. Wasn't wasn't intending to get too far off track there, but it, gut health is important, in other words. Yeah, it's hard not to. I mean, you know, the gut is a, is a diverse and amazing thing when we talk about how we deal with things in our environment and in our nutrient intake. So I'll, I'll close that uh, rabbit hole though. And we can, I think we may have a few more questions, right? Yep. Yeah, we do. So um, you had said that this, the supplement that you came up with this disc designed for kids four to 12, at what age do you typically want to start giving kids a multivitamin every day? You know, I think that's probably about the time. I mean, there is stuff out there that's for one and three-year-olds. And I think, you know, that's gonna, that that can be fine as an approach, but you also may find that some selectivity, more selectivity is needed, right? So, you know, something in that area that has, you know, a, a nice iron source that's not going to be um, hard on the GI tract, you know, is something that in that age group, as they're transitioning into foods and, you know, trying to diversify it more through the three-year-old spot, you know, you typically see some anemias that may pop up. And so you're really wanting to make sure that there's some other selective nutrient support there. So, you know, I think things like a probiotic, things like some vitamin D and things like iron really make a lot of sense in that group versus uh, more of a general um, multivitamin. And then the the segue from that is a person who asked, well, how much of the vitamins that you take are absorbed? Uh, and, and they said a part B of that is I don't want my kids to overdose. Should I worry about my kids overdosing? I think is what they're asking. Yeah. And so there's a couple of things that can happen, you know, with that, how much of vitamins are absorbed. And one of them, you know, comes from, there's an acronym in in pharmacokinetics, which is kind of studying the way that things get into the body. And a lot of times that's drugs, but we can still use this for nutrients. And there is uh, absorption, um, but, you know, distribution and and those two things are important. But I think one that gets into a few textbooks here and there that makes a lot of sense is liberation. And so I say that because you have to get it out of the matrix to make it into your body. And it has to leave that area um, of the matrix, you know, far enough to get absorbed. And so, so the know, vitamins in a, in a ball of shellac, for example, yeah, exactly, <laughs> it's going to stay right. in the shellac and it's <clears throat> going to end up in the toilet. Right. It is right. And that's kind of, I think where a lot of, you know, where they have all of the x-ray pictures of different supplements staying in the, you know, transit, you know, has come from is that liberation part. And so the, within that kind of area then of the, the DB, every one of those nutrients is going to absorb a little bit differently and it's going to be interacting with other nutrients in the system. Right. So we think about the, a great example is that what we would call the two plus minerals, right? So that two plus 
mineral classes, things like zinc, magnesium, you know, obviously iron can be in there, calcium. And so there's only one way to get those in, right? So you kind of got to make sure that when you're supplementing those out, you're not pushing one to, a, you know, to, you know, the amp on 11 for how much you're putting in the formula. And the other one's just a little bit because it's going to out. And so you kind of got to have a little bit of a well-rounded approach in there, but the water, like the B vitamins, not a problem absorbing those. And obviously one of them lets you know it really quick um, after you, um, you know, go to the bathroom by being, or, you know, yellow urine because it's already made it through the system. Right. And then for the overdose piece, you know, there's really good um, information. Um, if, if parents or anybody hasn't seen it in um, what they call the office of dietary supplements or ODS, it breaks it down by age group, you know, and it says here is how much we think, you know, is in, you know, should be taken in. Here's kind of the range that can happen. Here's why people might take it. Um, and the other part to that is, is here's what we would say is the tolerable upper limit, which is the kind of the, the max point, right, of you shouldn't really be going over this as a, you know, non-selective nutrient support, right? So we may go over that, say, in certain areas where we're wanting to really have that as a very uh, selective nutrient support system. So things like, you know, obviously the tetrahydrofolates uh, um, may go over what they would consider to be that for a dietary uptake because we can pulse that and bring it back down. So, but for general use in multivitamins, I think that's a good place to look at and understand. So in other words, we've actually got a, a term, an acronym, uh, the upper limit or the tolerable upper limit, the TUL that you can just look up. But the government publishes that, and as long as you're below that tolerable upper limit, you'll be fine. You don't really need to worry about overdosing or, you know, any kind of toxicity. Exactly. And then, you know, those nutrients that may go above that in certain, you know, formulations, that's, you know, still one of those where, you know, that's going to be things that a at, at provider would be looking at with you, right, to make sure that we're going to push you, you know, push this higher, but there's a reason for it. And, and they're still considered safe, but not to kind of use on your own. Well, that's been an awesome discussion, Stephen. All right, folks, that's all the time we have this week. Stephen, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, if people want to know what you're up to in particular, or, you know, maybe more about product development or what's coming out, where can people go to follow you? So I am on LinkedIn. Uh, and also you can always look at thorn.com for new product launches and the like, I, you know, and see the work that's coming out from uh, my group. And I think there's a lot coming out in the next, you know, few months that is going to be really exciting for everybody, you know, more to come there. And then, you know, you may see a blog pop up every once in a while from me as well. So I'm looking forward to uh, being able to communicate more with everybody. And thanks again, uh, Dr. Ramfrey, for your time. You bet. Terrific. So excellent. That was Dr. Stephen Phipps, who's the Chief Innovation Officer at Thorn Health Tech. As always, thank you all for listening, and we hope that you can tune in again in the future. Thanks for listening to the Thorn Podcast. Make sure to never miss an episode by subscribing to the show on your podcast app of choice. If you've got a health or wellness question you'd like answered, simply follow our Instagram and shoot a message to at Thorn Health. You can also learn more about the topics we discussed by visiting thorn.com and checking out the latest news, videos, and stories on Thorn's Take 5 daily blog. Once again, thanks for tuning in, and don't forget to join us next time for another episode of the Thorn Podcast.